Let's go to the Skype Maker Hotline. Uh, Michael Hitchburn is the founder and president of the Lepanto Institute, L-E-P-A-N-T-O-I-N.org, Lepantoin.org. And he joins us now uh, live on a sad occasion, which is we will uh, uh, discuss the, and we should focus some of this at least, on the great work that George Newmayer did um, and then the suspicious circumstances under which he died suddenly, uh, tragically, on Friday. Mitter Hitchburn, uh, um, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Good morning to your audience. Yeah, it's not a uh, an occasion that I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah. So I was telling the audience, I said, look, <clears throat> no one knew George better, one of the people that I know, no one knew George Newmayer better than Michael. And I said, I was uh, blessed. I met George, and I know you remember this, in Baltimore in 2018 at the Bishops, the, U the USCCB conference. You remember this? Mm -hmm. George was there. You introduced me. Me, you, and George had a little breakfast. We walked down the street with your friend, uh, is it Terry? Uh, Terry, your friend Terry. And that's where I met George. I got his number, and I started being a guest. Every time I would call George, and asked him to be on Mike Church show. He would, within 10 minutes, he'd respond. He'd go, yeah, yeah, what time? What time, what time do you want me? Um, so I was going through all my interviews, and I had some really good interviews. You know, I interviewed him when he was in South America researching Bergoglio's background. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's kind of funny. Uh, my very first introduction to him was when he was writing his book, uh, The Political Pope. And he called me up out of the blue. You know, this, this is the very... I. I'd never had any conversation with him before, but he called me directly and, and uh, introduced himself. And I was like, oh, hi. <laughs> I did, <laughs> did not expect a phone call from you. And uh, he, he wanted to talk to me about um, a statement that I'd made in an interview about um, uh, a conversation that I had with a bishop a few years ago. And what I mentioned in my interview was that as I was talking to this bishop, he asked me point blank, he said, how are we to remain loyal to Peter when Peter is not loyal to Christ? So George called me up and, and uh, said, that's a great quote. Uh, I'd like to verify it. And I said, I can give you verification. You're not to use the bishop's name. Um, and he agreed not to. And we, uh, we had a great two-hour conversation from that point forward. It was... Uh, Supposed to be just a quick little verification and a, and a request for permission to use my quote, and um, it turned into a much larger, much longer conversation. And from there, uh, I got to know him much better. Uh, we, we'd see each other at various events and, and uh, always enjoyed a cigar together. It was, it, we had a good friendship. There's hardly a photo on his Twitter feed that he doesn't have a cigar. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why me and him hit it all, because we smoked cigars the night before uh, 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 the breakfast, and it was very cold. I remember outside that hotel how cold that it was. was. <laughs> and, and George Newmare being like, oh, come on, Mike, it's not that cold. Um, <laughs> his work was impressive, though, Michael. I, so I want to focus more on, on his work, then we'll talk about this, the circumstances under which, uh, especially the, the murder tweet on his, on his Twitter feed, which I know that you've already written about on Friday. Um, this guy was prolific. Mm, yeah. I, I mean, when you say he's a very rare, the, the, we don't have a lot of investigative Catholic journalists. 
But George wasn't working for you know EWTN. I mean, he was a stringer for them. I mean, he would write for them, National Catholic Register and others. He was working for one of the uh, the more respectable uh, pub- uh, publications in uh, in conservatism, Inc. Maybe they're not even part of conservatism, Inc. He was working for the Spectator. You don't just get a gig at the Spectator. Um, that is a very prestigious magazine uh, and, and remains so today. So that's where I would read his. As a matter of fact, I subscribed to the Spectator just so I could read George. Uh, so I j- didn't just get the previews. Um, he did a lot of work and a lot of investigation on things that you and I talk about for The Spectator and other publications. So he actually was rare that we had a very thorough and unafraid, the dude feared nothing or no one, yep. a reporter and George Newmayer. No, you're absolutely right. Um, the Spectator, when they were uh, when they were talking about um, and announcing his death, uh, one thing that they said was the... <laughs> George, despite any circumstances, was never late with an article. Not once. Every Wednesday, he had something that he submitted, and it was comprehensive. It was long. Uh, the The guy never slept. Um, he 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 did have insomnia. I know that. Um, he he struggled with insomnia, but. Um, he he was a uh, a very prolific writer. His brain never stopped, uh, and and he um, he was he he is irreplaceable in terms of what it is that we do in our line of work, which is exposing the bad guys and investigating and tracking them down. He was one of the last, I would say, of the gumshoe investigative reporters out there. Yeah, that's a really good term, gumshoe. And yeah. he kind of looks like a 1940s or 50s with the trench coat, <laughs> yeah. with the trench coat and the cigar and the fedora. Um, I'm talking with Michael Hitchburn about our, our, our beloved friend and our uh, just, uh, I'd be going out on a limb and giving myself credits to say that he was uh, uh, a contemporary of mine uh, because he was very accomplished, but, uh, but a, a very, very uh, gentle, kind and humble guy. Um, he went to, so when he went to South America, Mm -hmm. he was reporting, he was writing these pieces for the spectator and he was looking in to the political, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, prior political activities of Juan Jorge Bergoglio. You know that, Maggie, you remember this. The morning that he called me, he sent me a picture, because people like in pictures. He was standing in the the courtyard where there was a statue. I'm trying to remember who it was, if it it was Stalin or if it was Lenin or or some communist uh, uh, figure. And the statue had been put there and had been put there and authorized by Bishop Bergoglio. He was standing there looking at the statue and sent me a picture. He goes, this is what I'm looking at. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Unreal. Yeah, he, uh, uh, okay, he, he, here's some of the things that he and I talked. I called him once, and we, he and I talked about the, Amaz- uh, the Amazon Synod, um, mm-hmm. so, so, or, or the Synod from the Amazon, and the Pachamama. He and I talked about the Pachamama, um, uh, because I believe he was in Rome at the time of, of the Amazon Synod. Um, so he was researching all of these things. He was looking into, he's, it was just like you. 
He's looking into corruption in places in the, inside the Catholic Church as a Catholic, mourning the fact that he was finding this just evil that he was finding, uh, and he was not afraid to, publish, uh, to, to write it, and uh, to their credit, the Spectator was not afraid to publish it. Right. Yeah. No. He uh, to compare me to him, I think, is, does a disservice to him. But um, he uh, he he was looking into all kinds of stuff. Uh, he he weeded out corruption when it came to the federal United States government. He was looking into uh, corruption in the church. He was very much on the ball in, in investigating uh, McCarrick stuff, and you know he was he was all over the place. He, he had a nose for trouble. <laughs> he knew exactly where to look and what to, what rocks to look under, and, and boy, he found cockroaches wherever he turned. So uh, this is an interview that I conducted with him on September the 5th, 2019. He called Pope Francis, uh, I'm, I'm going to quote him now, the hammer and sickle pope. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's, what he, <laughs> that's what he called him, the hammer and sickle pope, and I'm uh, I, I'm looking at my uh, at the notes from my interview because he was in Brandis, he was in Buenos Aires, and uh, why is Pope Francis not visit his home country during his tenure as pope? And then he answered, mm-hmm. like, I just, I'm going to put the, I'm going to give Maggie the link to to this story, but this is just an example of the kind of reporting, the kind of just fearless. I mean, the guy was I said this earlier, just fearless. Fearless advocate for the truth that George Newmayer was, uh, Michael. What now? Why did do you know why? Because you know he, you were closer to him than I was. Why was he in Cote de Ivoire? Why was he on the Ivory Coast? Well, uh, the number one reason was because he met a girl. Um, okay, it was it was personal. He was he was there for personal reasons. He got engaged while he was there. Um. And he he was doing investigate. He he took the opportunity to investigate the church and the state of the church while he was out there, and uh, he was uncovering some pretty interesting stuff. Pointing out that look, you know, everybody talks about how the church in Africa is thriving, and then he would post videos of these large churches, these large Catholic churches that are empty. They're empty. He said this is this is the nine o'clock mass on a Sunday morning, and I and one other person am here. You know, he, he would post these these uh, images of, of um, these churches that are just hideous. Uh, and he started talking about how, look, the evangelicals are going gangbusters here in Africa, and the Catholic Church is, 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 is shrinking. It's withdrawing. Uh, it's not the thriving, growing, vibrant Catholic faith that keeps we, we keep getting told about in the West, and it's uh, it, it's it's being overshadowed by Protestantism. So he was pointing out some very interesting things that were going on there in Africa, um, but the, the primary reason for him being there was personal. Uh, and, and just, uh, uh, I read that. Did you go to his, his Twitter feed? Because it took me about uh, 500 tweets to get to December the 23rd. <laughs> I mean, he well, was tweeting every, every, 30, every 10 minutes he was tweeting. Yeah, I know. I know. So one of the things, and, and then we're, we're going to come back to December the 23rd because this is, is a, an, an important tweet here. Um, one of the things, though, that, that the, the truth teller uh, George uh, Newmare was, was writing about, 
Somebody was going on and on about uh, the, uh, that Pope Francis supposedly is considering Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, is considering his his cause for canonization. I'm like, the guy wasn't even a Catholic. And yeah. and so George is having none of this, and he's got about 30 tweets in a row going, oh, yeah, okay, well, this is what MLK actually did. And he, <laughs> I'm just reading one. Uh, uh, some guy that was boasting and, and, and bragging about the, the wonders of Dr. King, uh, George, MLK didn't take his own advice. He treated on his wife constantly. He spent much of his final years at brothels. And then a guy responded to him, and he goes, hey, you're just wrong. He was going to brothels habitually. So the number of women he cheated on his wife with is probably closer to 400 than 40. So this is the kind of guy that George Newmayer was. He was like, no, 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 your urban legend is not true. This yeah. is what's actually happening. Now, in December, in late December, and I know that you saw the tweet, he said he'd stumbled onto something or he'd found something that was big and scary. And that he thought people that were there were going to be murders, maybe even his own. Do you have any idea what he was talking about, what he was writing about, or what he had uncovered? Any any clue? You got, do you have anything? Yeah, I mean, he, what he was looking, <clears throat> what he was looking into had to do with um, the connection between Freemasons, Cardinal McCarrick, uh, and. That kind of thing, uh, the the corruption in D.C. Okay. Uh, and the D.C. Catholic Church. That, that's what he was focusing on when he made that tweet. Now, you have to remember, he didn't leave for Africa until the 25th. So, Okay, so on the 23rd, he's still in the States. That's right. Okay. Yeah. All right. I didn't know that. Okay, good. That's good. So on the 23rd, then, he is still on the McCarrick case. Yes. Okay. And do you know, I mean, I didn't read the whole Twitter feed. Uh, do you know any particulars that he may have discovered or, 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 or what he had uncovered particularly? I saw the stuff about the Freemasons. Mm -hmm. I saw some uh, stuff about uh, Freemasons, um, but I didn't see uh, any, any details. Did he? I, and I'm not aware that he published anything about it yet. He didn't. He he just said that he was working on it, uh, that he was looking into some things, but he uh, he wasn't really explicit in anything that he said in the um, in, on social media. He was just saying, "Look, I'm uncovering things. There's some really shady stuff going on, and and uh, it's getting scary. You know, dark forces." He he referenced all those things, but he didn't give anything specific, which. Uh, you know, <clears throat> that's that's what investigators do. You don't really expose what you know until you have the, the proof in hand. So I think that he was waiting for the time to be able to expose what he was finding out. Um, and he went to Africa in the meantime. So, you know, it, it's... Uh, it, it's It's anybody's guess what he found, but the fact that he found something... Is is pretty significant. Okay, so this is. I'm going to read to the audience because there are many people listening that aren't uh, the, that aren't uh, watching or aren't in the chat room and can't see it. This is this is December the 23rd, um, and I suspect there will be some murders before this is over. Maybe even my own. I am not joking. This is getting scary. Mm -hmm. Okay, now this is a response that McCarrick is the Epstein of the church by a guy named Bartholomew. 
mm-hmm. then George responds, but as self-dramatizing uh, uh, as it may sound, I don't give a damn at this point. I don't care what happens to me. I will not sit on my hands as these wicked as these wicked charlatans defile Jesus Christ's church. It belongs to him, not them. And then Father Kauchik, who is apparently letting Blaze Supich know that he's still alive, <laughs> says, But George, God's holy angels are on your side. Keep fighting for truth, good in the American way. Uh, mm-hmm. by by bad boy bishops. Um, and and then in, in another thread, he says, thanks, I am technically clueless, so I hope someone out there is preserving my... Now, he, Michael, this is just creepy, like, this is like suspense thriller Hollywood movie stuff here. I am technically clueless, so I hope someone out there is preserving my tweets and public writings about McCarrick, Nestout, Whirl, and the gay mafia within the church. And then some guy says, George, please be careful. So I know about McCarrick. We all know about McCarrick. Who's Nestout? Barry Nestout is the, uh, he is the current bishop of Richmond, Virginia. Okay. Um, <clears throat> he was McCarrick. This is your secretary. bishop then. Kind of, right? Yeah. Um, so he, uh, Nestout. Um, was McCarrick's secretary. Ah, the plot thickens. Yeah. So uh, he was, you know, and and what's more is very recently, uh, Bishop Nestout was made the head of child protection of the USCCB, which is a joke. Um, And I know that, that George's speculation was that he was made for that position because uh, <clears throat> he was put there to run interference for the upcoming McCarrick trial. Uh, have you seen the photographs uh, recently of what Theodore McCarrick looks like these days? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he, he is an, he is, uh, well, he's an absolutely pathetic character. Uh, and for what it, what it is that we know that he has done, uh, he's starting to resemble Herod minus the worms, or maybe he has the worms. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and then he mentions world, so I, I'm assuming he's talking about Cardinal World. Yes. Mm-hmm. So they're all in. Now, for those of you, for, for the uninitiated, and for those of you that don't know, there is some people call it George calls it the gay mafia. Some people call it the lavender, the lavender mafia. Uh, there are other couple names uh, that that it goes by. One thing that remains the same is that there aren't very many Catholics that have looked into this or or aware of this, Michael. That deny that that deny that this is going on any longer. Sure. Yeah. There's not a lot of people in denial of it. So uh, we know that it's happening. Now, I'm just curious, though, as to why he would think that there was going, that people were going to be killed over this. This would suggest to me that people have already been killed and that he had, he had found some, uh, some evidence uh, uh, for, for murders in the past to think that more were going to occur. This, this sounds to me like, oh boy, I've seen what they've done. 
and it and I think it's going to happen again. Uh, but to predict your your own uh, your, your your own demise, and where people are going like, hey man, don't don't joke about this. Um, the conditions under which George Newmare, I'm talking with Michael Hitchburn of the Lepanto Institute, which George Newmare died, uh, he was tweeting all the way up until Tuesday. It looks mm-hmm. like uh, uh, before he uh, now did he? Do you know? Did, did he go to the hospital? Uh, from what I know, uh, he did eventually go to the hospital, um, but it was, uh, it was pretty much too late at that point. Okay. So the U S consulate and the coat D uh, ivory says that they tested him for malaria and he had malaria. Uh, there's a small, there's a problem with that though. Uh, and the problem is, as soon as I, uh, and, and, and an inner circle message of mine, as soon as I brought, that, uh, I, brought, I brought that up, I had three people contact me directly that have traveled to Africa or Central and Latin America, malaria countries. Mm-hmm. And all three said the same thing. That's BS. No one travels to a malaria country without malaria treatments. Now, I don't, uh, because I don't know, but the fact that he warned that he was going to be murdered and that he dies in a hospital, I mean, <laughs> this again, this, this the, 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 do you think that this is the case for Robert Stack here? Is this an unsolved mystery? Or you just think that he, uh, from what you have gathered, that he died of what the official cause is, which at this point is pneumonia. But there's, an, there's another irony here. Did you see that they forced him to take a yellow fever vaccine? Yeah, he had to take a yellow fever vaccine, which, I mean, I, I I wouldn't put that on the same category as the as the COVID vaccine, though I I do question the efficacy of such things. Um, in terms of what I've been able to gather so far, uh, and I I have um, I have some friends who are also close to the situation that are gathering information. And from what we have been able to glean thus far, it seems more than probable that uh, he died of acute malaria, which is a particular strain that, if not treated within 24 hours, uh, is is very much fatal. Uh, it's, it's a strain of malaria that attacks the brain, um, the evidence strongly suggests that this is what he died from. Okay. Uh, so, and, and given, given what I know about George's personality and, and, uh, how he approached things and, you know, the devil may cry, uh, <laughs> personality that he had, um, I, I don't find it implausible that he simply, bucked the system and was trying to do things on his own and not having so much consideration for his own health and well-being and died from basically from his his own stubbornness Hmm. so in other words he's one of those like you uh, you're not dragging me to a hospital i ain't going right which you know some people here when when they were administering run death is near to to to, uh, to people and putting them on ventilators in the hospital. There sure. were many people that I knew like I, I, do not take me to a hospital. 
Oh, yeah. I don't care oh, if I sure. die in this bed right here. You go, either go get Marcus Welby, MD, to make a house call, but I ain't going to one of their death camps, which hospitals right. have become in the United well, States. Well, and, and, and how much worse when you're in a, when you're in a third world country and you're sitting there going, um, I'm not going to what, to, it, to my mind, amounts to a, a butcher's shop to be fixed up. <laughs> Uh, all right, we're talking with Michael Hitchborn and I are uh, from the Lepanto Institute at L-E-P-A-N-T-I-O-I-N dot org uh, on uh, uh, this conversa- conversation about our friend who died, tragically, George Newmare. Um, not to change the, 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 the subject, but you uh, also have another, you have a report the, uh, out yourself last week. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, you know, I sent you a message a- and told you to watch your six, <laughs> because uh, because I saw the murder, the murder string for New Mayor. Uh, I still think you should watch your six. What's your latest report? So we did some uh, digging around in a um, an organization called NWEA. NWEA is it stands for Northwest Evaluation Association. What they do is provide evaluation services for schools. Uh, they test the students, they give, uh, they, they, you know, in, they, they review curriculums, and then they give um, their assessment of the students and the curriculums, and they, they say, well, you know, you're, you're doing all right here, you could improve over here, this is how we would recommend you change things X, Y, or Z. And uh, the reason we investigated it is because they are partnered with Catholic schools in 84 different dioceses, uh, we see from their own literature that in those 84 dioceses, they're partners with 1,900 Catholic schools, and they reach nearly 400,000 Catholics, uh, Catholic students. And as we were looking through their, their website and the things that they promote, one of the things they say is, quote, we fight for bold, courageous policy changes that will move the needle for students and educators. Ugh. That's, that's deeply concerning. If they're going to fight for policy changes, then that seems to imply that part of their fight for that is in their assessments. And we found very rapidly that they are partners with GLSEN, which stands for Gay, Lesbian, Straight Educational Network. Uh, they partnered with them to include X uh, on their evaluation surveys that show either male, female, or undeclared gender. Um, and they are vehement supporters of homosexuality and transgenderism. Uh, I'm just going to highlight probably the, the most disgusting element of what we investigated into this group. All right. Uh, and we found lots of articles that show, yeah, we're we're incorporating ideas into our evaluations, and we're we're using our evaluations to change classrooms and that kind of thing. So deeply concerning in that alone. But one article they published in June of 2022, the title was "20 LGBTQ Plus Books for K through 12 Readers During Pride Month and Throughout the Year." Make it stop. Just make it stop. The first book on the list, which was aimed at preschoolers, is titled Love Makes a Family. 
This is what the description of that book says. Whether a child has two moms, two dads, one parent, or one of each, this simple preschool read-aloud demonstrates that what's most important in each family's life is the love the family members share. Isn't that sweet? Preschool. Preschool. Three-year-olds, dude. Yeah. Preschool. Here's another one for preschool. <clears throat> this one is is the worst. I mean, this is this is just foul. This is the very second list a book that they listed. It's one of those cardboard books, you know, the the kind that uh, are real hard so that kids can chew on them. Yep, know exactly what you're talking about. Pages are eighth of an inch thick. Yeah, the title of this book is "The Hips on the Drag Queen Go Swish Swish Swish." <sighs> You, you want to hear the description for this one? Uh, sure. No, you don't. No, I don't. Do anyway. <laughs> Playing off the wheels on the bus, this nursery rhyme book from a founder of Drag Queen Story Hour is a fun, freewheeling celebration of being your most fabulous self. The hips on the drag queen go swish, 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 encourages readers to boldly be exactly who they are. Written by a founding member of the nationally recognized Drag, drag Queen Story Hour, Ugh. this playful book offers a quirky twist on a classic nursery rhyme by illustrating all of the ways to work it. The story plays off the wheels on the bus and, is a, and it follows a drag queen who performs her routine in front of an awestruck audience. <laughs> awestruck. Awestruck. A, yeah. A fun frenzy of fierceness, this book will appeal to readers of all ages. Nope. If by appeal you mean want to go to a vomitorium, well, there you go. This is just... I'm not surprised. I can't be and, surprised anymore. And that's just two of the books that's on That's just two of the books. Uh, there were 20. <laughs> One of them was a Harlequin novel for, for queers, for high school age students. Uh, Michael Hitchburn of the Lepanto Institute on our Dude Maker Skype line here with us. Uh, staying on the same subject for uh, just a moment here. Um, since I have been uh, investigating with Town Hall the molestation, the, uh, the, uh, the rape of the Zulak adopted boys and uh, the, the Zulak uh, uh, family, as they call themselves. You familiar with the case? Uh, no. This is the one in Georgia where the, the two the homosexuals claim to be oh, married. Oh, oh, yes, yes. Okay, okay well, detail, more details are, are, are now coming out. Uh, the, oh, it no. just, it's, un, it's a horror movie waiting to be made. James Martin, James Martin, Jay, Surprise, <laughs> this got so much attention. Like it or not, Pete Buttigieg is legally married. You may disagree with same-sex marriage, but Secretary Pete is married in the eyes of the state and his church. As much as anyone else claim otherwise is to ignore reality. And then he follows that up with, oh, yes, and he is a parent. And he and Chaston are parents to, to, to two boys. To which you responded like, uh, no, they are parents. Uh, the what, Would you say they're victims? Yeah. yeah. 
their victims. All right, so uh, my, my awesome producer the other day gave me a statistic. Uh, people have actually started researching this. Let me, let me hit you with this. Maybe you can tell me where you got this. 28%, 28% of all sodomitical or lesbonic marriages where children are adopted result in investigations of sexual child abuse. That's almost a third now. Now, these are the ones that are just getting investigated, which we know that number is, that's not the accurate number. That's just the kids who, by God's grace somehow, uh, managed to throw enough signs off so that uh, this uh, this pederasty could be investigated. A pair of men, I I wrote about this the other day on Twitter, a pair of men claiming to be married is disgusting enough. And weird, it just, it just, it, it's just, it's off-putting enough. You start throwing children that they supposedly adopted in this, and especially if they're boys, uh, okay, that is just, to the human eye, my senses, the, the, reve- the revealed truth that God bakes into every human soul is screaming that this is unnatural. And only unnatural things are going to come out of it. And that's exactly what comes out of it, isn't it? Unnatural things. They're adopting these children. They're basically buying them so that they have little boys. So they have little boys, in some cases little girls, to play doctor, to play sodomite on. And that's what we're discovering. Do you, do you, do you, you, you have the source? It was from Family Studies Structure Family Studies Family Structure Studies dot com is where the stat comes from. I'm not surprised by that. Are you? I'm not surprised. Well, no. Uh, disgusted. I, I'm disgusted. I'm horrified. Um, I mean, it's uh, how do you how do you describe the way that you feel? If you were watching from a thousand yards away through a telescope, um, a couple of men do terrible, terrible things to children. How do you describe what you feel in that moment? Sick, horrified, uh, you know, there are no words to describe what you think and what you feel in that moment. It's just these these people, we are at the point now where if we do not start finding uh, a way to enact laws that criminalize these people, we are going to have a completely and totally lawless civilization where anything goes, and the horrors that are behind closed doors right now are going to be practiced out in the open. Well, in many, in, in some cases, they are practicing it out in the open. The drag uh-huh. queen story hours have now graduated. They are now drag queen strip show hours. And there are adults who are voluntarily bringing, mostly women, voluntarily bringing children. I'm talking toddlers. Two, three, four, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, all the way up to, to, to teens to these shows and letting them perform with the performers. 
I mean, you, you, you now have a situation where you can't just blame the drag queens, but uh, uh, and you can, but yes, Maggie. I, I just wanted to, real quick, in that study, too, they found 24% of children that were raised in a home where the father either was openly homosexual or had a homosexual relationship at some mm. point and the child knew about it, 24% of those children were suicidal. Suicidal. Well, again, because this is unnatural. It's unnatural behavior, and it's your natural senses. You know, the, the, every soul has some revealed truth in it. Right. It's your natural senses going. This is this is wrong. This is this man is claiming to be my father, while he's practicing acts that can't. He can't be. It's it's impossible for him to 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 to, to be a father. Um, but the children are ultimately paying the price here. It's the kids that are paying the price. For the the open season on eight year olds, yeah, I mean the Zulok kids were nine and eleven. I know, and the Zulok, you know how they discovered? Okay, there was a sting because one of the guys that was in the pedo ring that was buying the pedo porn got a conscience. All right, his guardian angel got to him. Thank God, and he ratted him out. He was going, okay, I can't be a part of this. I was a part of this. I took the porn material. Do what you will with me, but you have to stop them. Do you know how they busted one of the other uh, uh, things that that stopped the Zulok homosexuals from sexually molesting their boys that they supposedly adopted? One of the boys had to be treated at an emergency room for injuries to his rectum. Oh. Now, the state of Georgia has made this legal. And a, uh, supposedly a Christian adoption agency facilitated the exchange so that the Zulocks could buy those boys. This is the kind of stuff, this is what Buttigieg, the Babadook, and Chastin did. And, uh, the, the, uh, and, and Father Martin knows this. They did it, Michael, and this is the last thing we're going to talk about. We're out of time, and I know you got a busy day. They did it in South Bend, Indiana. What's in South Bend, Indiana? Notre Dame. Notre Dame. What's across yeah. the street from Notre Dame? Holy Cross. It's across the street from Holy Cross. St. Mary's. What county is South Bend, Indiana in? St. Joseph. We know that this was done, and Biden participated in this, for maximum outrage against God. Do it at Notre Dame. Do it in St. Joseph County, where the St. Joseph River runs through it. And do it across the street from Holy Cross. You know, E. Michael Jones has, ta has talked to, uh, very uh, prolifically about Buttigieg because he knew his father and, and what's going on here. This is evil at the highest levels of all structures, all entities in the United States. Maybe that's really what George Newmayer was really on to, on to. Yeah, that, that I can't answer. Um, but in terms of Pete Buttigieg and, you know, I, I don't know if you addressed this on earlier, but uh, James Martin's tweet that Pete Buttigieg is married, period, is absolutely vile. Theoretical. Um it, well, yeah, absolutely. Um, he's and then, of course, his his backtracking when he said, well, "I don't know why this tweet got so much attention." Yeah, you All do. Is, yeah, of course you do. You said something provocative, 
you did it intentionally. Yep. You were responding to uh, uh, the Catholic League's statement that Pete Buttigieg may be, quote-unquote, married, but it's a legal fiction. And he responded by saying, Pete Buttigieg is married, period. That's As right. if it's a fait accompli. No, I, I mean, he was he was making the argument that, yes, he is married. And I actually, I don't know if you saw my response, but I, I said, did. I said, marriage has a sacramental definition, not a legal one. And <laughs> I didn't say this, but he as a priest knows better than anyone else. He should. A sacramental definition. He should. Yeah. But this is the world in which, uh, uh, look, this is what's happening here. This is what's happening. And by the by, if you go and find George uh, uh, Newmayer's uh, Twitter feed uh, and you you go, what I really think that he was, uh, that, that uh, besides the McCarrick stuff and the St. Gallen Mafia and the Lavender Mafia and all that, he was, and you, and you said this at the start of our interview today, what he really saw there, though, was, at least in that country, what we have been told about the surge in sacred tradition in Catholic and Catholicism is a lie. Mm -hmm. That church had no one in it at the 9 AMS. I went and saw the photographs. You made me want to go look it up, so I was scrolling while you were talking. I was scrolling through his feed. There was no one in that church. And, yep. and when there were people in there, did you see what they were doing? They were doing African instrument masses mm. with... What looked to be a bishop sitting in one chair and the priest sitting in the other and the musicians with their stringed instruments in the aisles serenading and dancing with those that were in attendance. That's not a mass. That is not anything that's recognizable as Catholic mass. And so this is what George, I believe, was really had, had really uncovered is that under the guise, and we're supposed to send donations to these African countries because all this wonderful uh, conservatism and sacred tradition is there, and I'm sure it is because I know that there is some because of Cardinal Sarah. Um, but in large part, this is just a funding scheme. So tradies, if you're a traditionalist, you be very, very careful of people soliciting funds for Catholicism and Catholic missions in Protestant countries, and the other thing that he pointed out that maybe got that that, that really probably rankled real, uh, serious feathers, Michael, he pointed out that it was not the Catholic hierarchy in Cote de Cote de uh, Ivory Ivory or Ivory Ivory. It was not the Catholics. It was to their credit. It was the Protestants that outed the Masons. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, accurate on all points. Of course, you know, Michael, your, uh, your, your assessment of the mass there is very Western and insensitive. I think that you just don't understand how the Second Vatican Council made it possible for these cultural expressions to be used in the mass as an evangelical tool to draw in our separated brethren. Yes. Don't yes. you see the fruits of the Second Vatican Council in in this mass? I mean, come on. Of course I do. Of course I do. Uh, uh -huh. By the way, a friend of mine points out that uh, George uh, George uh, Newmare uh, was working at the American Spectator, the Spectator and the American Spectator, they're just their counterparts. 
our friend, uh, who I interviewed uh, two weeks ago, Paul Kangor, was just recently named um, the editor uh, of that mm. magazine. So you have a guy who's written a book about the, Della, the devil and Bella Dodd, Evelyn Karl Marx, now is the editor of where George Newmare was uh, was writing. Uh, hopefully good things will be coming out of The Spectator. Michael, we got to go. We're out of time. Thank you for your time, and keep up the great, fantastic work that you're doing at L-E-P-A-N-T-O-I-N.org. God bless you, brother. Uh, keep in the fight. Watch your six, and uh, we will see you next time. All right. Uh, I will keep in the fight and watch my six. All right. Find uh, Sign up for Michael's uh, email list at lepantoin.org. Uh, hopefully good things will be coming out of the spectator. Michael, we got to go. We're out of time. Thank you for your time, and keep up the great, fantastic work that you're doing at lepantoin.org. God bless you, brother. Uh, keep in the fight. Watch your six, and uh, we will see you next time. All right. Uh, I will keep in the fight and watch my six. All right. Find, uh, sign up for Michael's uh, email list at lepantoin.org.